Welcome to Faith Covenant Church. We're so glad you're here with us this Labor Day weekend. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Laura. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm super excited to talk to you guys today about something that happened here maybe like six weeks ago um, in July when we opened up our doors to about 180 kids from the community for our glorious mess Vacation Bible School, and <laughs> it was crazy, right? So we had children as young as three, all the way up to about 12 years old, joining us for four days of crafts and snacks and dinner and games, but we also spent time with them in chaotic chapel, talking to them about God and really diving into that in our small group time. Kids heard about how people tried to make a mess of Moses' life, but God turned Moses' circumstances into a masterpiece. And we learned that no matter where we're from or what messy circumstances we encounter, God can make a masterpiece of our lives, much like he did for Ruth. We discovered that Saul, who wanted to murder and capture Christians and make a huge mess of the lives of many believers, was also God's masterpiece. And we learned that even when we believe and follow Jesus like Peter, we can still make messes in our lives. But because God loves us, and because God forgives us, we learned that we are his masterpieces. And throughout the week, kids dove into, this, into these stories in the Bible, discovering this truth, that no matter what mess we encounter, God still considers us his handiwork. The translation we used was masterpiece. And as I mentioned, we had about 180 kids. So as you can imagine, it took a lot of leaders. We had about 75 to 85 leaders helping kids make sure that they heard this truth every day. We planted a lot of seeds that week. So let me set the scene for you. Kids eat their dinner. And then they come in here to into the sanctuary for chaotic chapel. And as you can imagine, its name defi the, the, it definitely lived up to its, its name. <laughs> Kids were on fire. They were excited. They were so hyped up to sing songs. Our worship team was amazing. Amen to those of you who were here. They were on fire. And kids were here every day on fire to learn more and more about Jesus. And each day, I would be approached by multiple leaders asking how we could translate what happened that week in those four days to here on a Sunday morning, whether it be one day or over the course of a series. And so here we are today. I want to welcome you to Glorious Mess VBS, the one-day version. <laughs> so today it's my hope and prayer that we hear God's truth for our own lives, much like the kids who joined us for Vacation Bible School heard last month. That no matter the messes we're facing, no matter the messes that we make of our own lives, no matter where we come from, we too know that we are God's masterpieces. So before we dive into what we looked at for uh, Vacation Bible School, let's just take a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time to come together, that we are united in you that we come with whatever messiness, whatever brokenness, whatever humanness we are going through. God, we lay it at your feet. Let our hearts be open and our ears be open to hear the truth and the love that you need us to hear today. God, we ask for your blessing on Pastor Mike and Laura as they travel for the next couple of weeks. Give them rest, give them good weather, and just wonderful, relaxing time to be away. 
We thank you that we are in a church that encourages them and supports them in this um, life, dream, journey, vacation that they're on together. Just bless their trip for safe travels. And God, we ask anything that we have going on in our lives that just here and now, let us just come together and just worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians. And personally, this is my favorite book of the Bible for many reasons, but primarily because of where I was in my faith walk when I first read this book. Now, growing up in a faith tradition where we didn't spend a great deal of time in the Bible, I came here to Faith Covenant Church feeling like an absolutely new believer. People would come here on Sunday mornings carrying their Bibles, and during messages on Sunday mornings, they'd be taking notes. And that was such a strange, unfamiliar concept to me when my husband Tim and I started coming here a little over 15 years ago. But little by little, I loved the idea of following along in the Bible with Scripture, while Scripture was being shared, that I eventually bought my first Bible. And believe it or not, I thought that was a pretty good book. And I still do to this day. (laughs) So when Tim and I participated in our first small group together, it was an all-church series in the book of Ephesians. And I loved it. I called it God's Guidebook on How to Live. And to this day, I still read it often. Ephesians is a letter written from Paul to the church in Ephesus. It's argued by some scholars to be one of the most influential documents ever written. Well, not as long as Psalms or John or Romans. There's a ton packed into this short little letter that packs a powerful punch on how one is to live their life for Jesus. Ephesians describes our humanness. It's about us. It's about our messiness, it's about our brokenness, and it's about how God transforms us. Life can be a mess. It can be really hard. We can ask questions like, who are we and what shapes us? Or what or to whom do we belong? So I would argue that Ephesians has the answer to all of these questions and more. In the book of Ephesians, God is the primary actor. New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass says the book of Ephesians shows us from living with him, we learn how to live for him. And that's why we focused on Ephesians 2.10 for our glorious Mass Vacation Bible School. And why today we're going to take a look at that passage with a little bit more added to it to understand truly how God transforms. To understand our lives before God, after God, and the grace that God has to offer each and every one of us. So to begin with, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness, to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want to start right at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1 when Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So when reading this, I ask myself, what does this mean to be dead in our transgressions and sins? What does Paul mean here? And who is he writing to? Is he really saying that his readers are dead? So if we break this down, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and it but it can be very well applied to each of us here, making Ephesians not only a contemporary document, but a very relational letter that applies to us as well. Paul wants his readers to know, to understand that their life before knowing and following Jesus made them dead. Now, not dead in the literal sense, but dead in a spiritual sense emotionally, relationally, financially, whatever Lee you want to add in there, Paul was writing to the church telling them that before they followed Jesus, they were living as if they were dead, and it came to a head in their spiritual lives. They were dead in their transgressions and sins. They were separated from God because of their disobedience to him. I love what he writes in Colossians when he says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That paints such a visual picture for me. In reading reading Ephesians, it's important to understand that Paul is speaking to them as a resident expert. The one with the truest of experiences to know what it means to be spiritually dead. To live a life emotionally and relationally dead that resulted in him being spiritually dead. Now, if you know a little bit of Paul's story, then reading this letter gives you a clearer sense that Paul knows what he's talking about. Paul, once known as Saul, speaks to them from experience. Now, Luke introduces us to Saul in Acts 7, when one of Jesus' apostles, Stephen, is being stoned to death for being a follower of Jesus, and he records it this way. He says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, let's see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats, and he laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Not only is Saul present at the stoning, but it also shows that he was somewhat trusted by the accusers and that they laid their coats at his feet. But it's at the beginning of chapter 8 that Luke confirms for us that Saul was, in fact, set on destroying those who believed in Jesus. We read, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And we read on in Acts 9 that he was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now each day of glorious mass, I'm getting ahead of myself. I almost, almost gave away my punchline, Pastor Devin. So, so, hold on. That's because my punchline, there we go. It's all live, right? So, Here's Saul, who (laughs) Luke sets up for us for three chapters, that is, um, I would argue, the biggest hater of all things Jesus, especially people who followed him. I mean, talk about a heinous life, right? Here's, Here's a prime example of being dead, not only emotionally, but relationally in your spiritual life. Saul, who was capturing Christians and even murdering them. I think it's pretty safe to say that when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, talking about being dead in transgressions and sins, he knows what he's talking about. So here's Paul, and he's writing to the church about living a life before Jesus Christ, what living dead emotionally and relationally leads to, spiritual deadness, and then something happens. He gets transformed. You see, Saul made a huge mess of his life. He imprisoned and murdered people just because they believed in Jesus Christ. But something happened, something life-changing. He was transformed into a masterpiece. God took his mess and he made it into handiwork so that Paul could go on to do good things for him. So as we continue on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us of what it looks like to live in our transgressions and sins when he says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So do you know what these two verses remind me of? (laughs) They remind me of our VBS messy pool. So I want you to truly understand what our vacation Bible school looked like. And so in order to do that, I love making illustrations. And this is a great place to do so. So I'm going to invite Pastor Devin up here to really drive home what we're talking about. So each day in our chaotic chapel, we would have messy pool. And some of our, our, not some, all our kids would chant, messy pool, messy pool. It was, uh, right, messy pool. It was pretty awesome. Imagine this whole sanctuary full of kids just chanting. So Pastor Devin is up here to be our our example of what this looks like when Paul is writing to us. And so... So each day of Glorious Mass VBS, we would have the messy pool up front, like this one today. And so the only difference is between um, today, today and Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is like filled with pudding, and there'd be like eight kids around it, and their faces would be like immersed in like this. And so I only did Pastor Devin today. But imagine that Pastor Devin represents you and I, right? So we go about living our lives. 
We want to live for Jesus, but we get so caught up in this world, in our sins. And so, got to make sure it's ready. Are you ready? ready. So we get caught up in our lies. Oh, it like chunked out. That was, that's awesome. That, that's awesome. So, so we get caught up in our lies, right? <laughs> this could really backfire. People are like, I'm never coming to sermon right, children's yeah. ever. <laughs> or we get caught up, I don't know, in cheating, right? Oh. I had to add some color. <laughs> or <laughs> we get caught up in whatever sin it is that separates us from God. Oh. <laughs> Hold up, I do embrace you in your messiness. But you know, in our house, we say some people are, you know, okay to be loved from afar. So, <laughs> so don't go anywhere yet. So this is, this is what it looks like though, right? Whatever the sins that we, <laughs> whatever the sins may be, we get caught up in it. And before you know it, we've made a huge mess of our lives or our pastor. And just so Pastor Devin knows he's not alone, here's, <laughs> here's Pastor Mike at Vacation Bible School, in the messy pool, and I think that Elena's face in the background says it all perfectly. So if you could give Devin a round of applause for being my messy example. There's a towel, and then I put, I put the steps for you. Okay, so he's, he's gonna, hey, remember you agreed. I asked if you'd be okay with this. <laughs> so, so this is, we had to bring the messy pool. I tried not to, but we really had to demonstrate what we showed the kids each day to show what it looks like when we don't live our lives for God, when we, when we sin and we're disobedient. And Paul says, because of our sinful nature, that we've alienated ourselves from God. He continues on and he encourages readers when he says, but because of his grace, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, I love these two verses. There is so much happening here. To begin with, let's focus on the part when he says, but God. But because God loves us so much. Devin said, Embrace my messiness, right? I didn't hug him, but God's hugging him. God loves us so much. He's not done with us. He intervened. He showed up. He didn't give up on us. He didn't give up on Paul. He united us with his son with mercy and grace and love. And this is where Paul, the man who killed Jesus' followers, says to the church in Ephesus and to us today, Yeah, you were dead before Christ. You lived for this world before Christ, but now, now because you believe in him, because you follow him, your life will be transformed because he loves you so much, because he has mercy for you, because he has grace for you. The second point I want to focus on is that Paul is writing to them about God being rich in mercy. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. Paul, formerly known as Saul, who killed and captured Christians, who spewed lies and hate and anger. Saul, who's dismantling God's church. 
blinded. So we read in Acts 9 that as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the fact that Saul was blinded for three days only and didn't receive a greater punishment is a true testament of God's rich mercy. Yet here he is writing to the church to say, that rich mercy he gave me is for you too. And I don't know about you, but what better testimony, right? Here we have this man whose life mission was quelching the faith. But Paul writes saying that God is not only a merciful God, but he's a God rich in that mercy. Paul's letter is a reminder that God isn't sitting there with, in anger with his arms crossed, huffing and puffing at our messiness and our brokenness. No, Paul's letter is telling us that God is loving us. Not only does Paul write of God's mercy in Ephesians 2, but he writes about being made alive in Christ Jesus when he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now, I think these two verses have so much packed in them. God's great love for us, God's, God who is rich in mercy, God who made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. I think Paul is an amazing witness to this. We read more on his life story in Acts 9, when on the road to Damascus, he encounters Christ, and here's what's recorded for us after his three days of being blinded. God sends Ananias to help him. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was transformed by Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he got baptized. He was made alive with Christ, even when dead in his transgressions. And then these two powerful verses ends with this. It is by grace that you have been saved. Paul tells his readers that it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace, this one-syllable word, holds so much awesomeness. Grace, God's love to us even when we don't deserve it. Saul, now Paul, receiving his sight back, completely undeserving. Talk about an act of unconditional love. This is God's grace. And Paul writes to the people in Ephesus telling them that they can have this same gift, this gift of grace. 
Now this is where Paul's letter sends all the message that even though we believe, even though we follow Christ, we still make messes of our lives. Here's, here's Paul, again, a great example. He's completely transformed. Um, he was on a mission before Christ to destroy. Now he's on a mission to spread the word of Jesus Christ. Yet he makes another mess. He makes a decision that I would argue he later regrets. And Luke records that for us in Paul's life in the book of Acts. So to set the scene, here's Paul. He wants to go back into the mission field, and he suggests returning back to one of their former church plants. And here's what Luke writes. Sometimes late, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Barnabas agrees but wants to include John. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Because Mark had abandoned them on their previous mission trip, Paul wants no part of him joining on their second trip. Barnabas disagrees. And it creates a sharp disagreement between the two of them and eventually a separation. And we read on in Acts when Luke writes, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, before we take sides, we should note that this disagreement was not a matter of immorality. It was not a matter of heresy. It was two men fully committed to Christ, who disagreed over the application of biblical principle. There's a broad spectrum of possibilities that occurred in Paul's not wanting to take Mark and Barnabas wanting Mark to come along. But for the sake of time, we'll focus on this. Paul and Barnabas were brought together by the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in Acts, when um, Luke writes, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This disagreement that they had caused them to part ways. And their parting of the ways was not commissioned by the Holy Spirit. It was not a direct divine intervention telling them to separate. This is where we see their moment of humanness. They disagreed and they left each other without God's intervention or approval to do so. This was counter to what Jesus wrote, Jesus prayed about in John 17 when he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you, and me, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought up to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Now Luke doesn't give us a clear reason as to why they left and separated, but we can say with certainty it did not bring unity in that moment. 
And I would argue that Paul realizes that he's wrong when we read in 2 Timothy, when he says, only Luke is with me, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in the ministry. So here's what we can learn from interpersonal conflict, when interpersonal conflicts happen. And while the Bible records these two did continue to love each other, and the mission grew, Paul clearly regretted his decision and had a change of heart. Throughout the conflict and the separation between Barnabas and Paul, God's grace abounds. And again, Paul can write this as an expert because he witnessed it and experienced it firsthand. This grace that Paul writes about, it's something that we all receive if we believe. It's given to us through one way and one way only. And Paul writes it in verse 8 when he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. He clarifies this in Romans, explaining righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. God's grace is for all who, all who believe. Acknowledging who he is and what he has done through Jesus Christ. He completes this reassurance of grace through faith by saying in um, chapter nine, or verse 9, not by works so that one can boast. Now, as much as I'd like to use this opportunity to say, um, hey, if you serve in faith, kids, Jesus will love you more. Uh, that's not how it works. But if you want to test the theory, please come see me anytime you'd like. Um, that's not what he's saying here. <laughs> Paul's writings here show us a progression of God's intervention in our lives. What our lives looked like before Christ, when we were dead in our transgressions, and now that we have faith in Christ, we live knowing we are saved by God's grace. I love what one scholar says when he says in regards to this passage in Ephesians, he says, we don't lead good lives in order to be saved. No, we live good lives because we are saved. It's clear that human effort does not save us. But what, because of what God has done through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we are made new in him. Much like Pastor Devin is an example. Look, we're made new in him, Stan. And see? Clean as a whistle. <laughs> In verse 10, Paul encourages the church to know this truth. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And like I mentioned earlier, in Vacation Bible School, we used masterpiece. When we read in Genesis, when God was creating the earth and he was creating day and night and land and sea and birds and animals, he said they were good. But when God saw all that he had made after making us, he said it was very good. Our world is a mess. Whether we are the ones making the messes or experiencing the messes, our world is divided by so much. But Ephesians says that God is our wholeness. God is the one that binds us together. And not only does God make us whole, 
but that we're all part of Christ, which makes us all part of one another. We are all God's masterpieces. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for Paul's letter. We thank you for all that um, he shares, his personal testimony, his witness in our lives, God. Help us to see our own masterpiece in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, whether it may seem small and trivial, God, or huge and overwhelming. We know everyone here needs this truth in our lives that Paul writes to us, that we are transformed because we know you, that we can be transformed if we know you. And God, just help us to move closer to you wherever we are in our faith journey, God. We thank you for this letter. We thank you for this time. In your precious name we pray. Amen.